Welcome to Base Liberty, your source for politics. The government is way too big, way too intrusive. We are overtaxed. History. The right to self-defense is a natural, God-given right. The founders clearly understood this. Economics. We can't just keep printing off money. We can't just keep borrowing money. If you think this path is sustainable, then I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And more. From a liberty perspective. I've got to disagree with you there. The income tax is clearly immoral because it assumes you don't own the fruit of your labor, the government. With your host, Darren Wisely. Deregulation and decentralization are the answers if we're ever going to get this thing back on track. We need to look to families, churches, and charities, not the state. What's going on? Welcome to Base Liberty, episode 13. Darren Wisely here. So glad you're with us today. It is Tuesday, September 14th, 2020. If you like what we're doing here, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and YouTube if you like the video version. But it would really help us out uh, if you could spread the word and help us keep doing what we're doing here. Uh, If you don't want to look up all those, just go to choosewisely.org, wisely, W-I-S-E-L-E-Y, choosewisely.org, and that's your hub for everything we're doing here on Base Liberty. Nebraska Senator Ben Sass wrote an article entitled, Make the Senate Great Again. Uh, This article suggested repealing the 17th Amendment. Now, the 17th Amendment got rid of state legislature's electing U.S. Senators. Now, as you know, they're directly um, elected democratically by the citizens of their states. The 17th Amendment was ratified in 1913 during the Woodrow Wilson administration. So many awful things happened that year. That's really when everything just completely landslided downhill. And I will do a full episode on that um, because there's just so much that took place that transformed the United States in that year. So is any part of the Constitution unconstitutional? Yes, the 17th Amendment. Judge Knapp said that quote. I think it is a great one because it really puts this into perspective. Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution uh, gave us two senators per state. And as James Madison said in Federal 62, the Senate would be the direct link between the states and the general government in this federalist system. I've done other episodes talking about federalism, uh, so go back and check those out, and I won't rehash all that, but the states created the federal government, not the other way around, although most people think that today. Most people don't even know that state legislatures used to elect the senators rather than the people for over the first hundred years of American history. Uh, They conveniently leave that out of the history book so people don't start thinking, hmm, maybe that was better. 17th Amendment was the last nail in the coffin of the United States being a true federal republic because it completely centralized power uh, in the federal government because now these senators are not accountable to their states that they're supposed to represent in the way it was set up in the bicameral legislature. They are instead democratically elected just like those in the House of Representatives. That's not how it was supposed to be set up by the framers. The House of Representatives was supposed to be the democratic element answering directly to their constituents in their respective districts. But the Senate was supposed to be more detached, kind of more sober judgment, so that they wouldn't fall into the whims of the people. And if you want to kind of understand this clash between direct democracy and representative government, episode 8 is all about that. Today, the Senate is basically just a glorified House of Representatives. 
Now, you could make the case that we should have many more members in our House of Representatives because I think we would have like 7,000 today if it was uh, the same appropriation as it was when the United States uh, was founded. I mean, we haven't added more in over 100 years, but I mean, that's the government's fault. That's something that should be done because the problem is when these districts get too big, they're representing too many people. They can't accurately reflect the views of their districts. The ideal process that would be more in line with what the framers set up would be more representatives in our House of Representatives in the uh, Democratic aspect and then in the Senate go back to state legislatures electing them because that would make them not fall prey to what does everyone want? Well, they want more stuff and they want it now and they don't care how they get it. Well, if they're detached from that, they can represent the state's interest uh, what's good for them. So not only are they supporting federalism, but they're acting in a more Republican form of government rather than a Democratic one. Ben Sass did talk about several other proposals um, in this op-ed, but I wasn't really going to get into that today. I just really wanted to hit this uh, 17th Amendment because I've touched on it in other videos, but I wanted to show kind of the full implications and the understanding a lot of people have on it. And I was scrolling through YouTube and I don't know how this video came up, but some neckbeard in a super bland, um, monotone voice. Ben Sass wants to repeal the 17th Amendment. That's anti-democratic. Yes, that's the point. For the reasons I just said a second ago. But people don't even understand why direct democracy is so harmful. And they don't even understand we're supposed to be a federal republic. All the decisions aren't supposed to be made in Washington, D.C. But over the past hundred years, we have seen a complete centralization of power. Started early in the War of 1861, and then 1913, final nail of the coffin. Hamilton, um, I'm sure, has a smile on his face looking down, seeing that uh, he got his way with a complete nationalized, top-down system. So when I was uh, getting ready for the show, I just uh, googled Ben Sass 17th Amendment, just to make sure I had some of my facts and figures straight. The first thing that popped up was this National Review article, of course, National Review, home of the neocons. Um, so I thought, hmm, let's look at this. Well, I thought this would be something good to go over. Let me um, pull this up real quick. All right, so this article is titled, Ben Sass is Wrong, Keep the 17th Amendment. This is by Dan McLaughlin. I don't know anything about Dan other than his Twitter picture has a baseball with a mask on. It looks kind of like the Wild Thing logo from Major League. And anyone using a mask in a non-ironic fashion is definitely a red flag for me. I, I don't know uh, if he is or not. So let's get to the article. Senator Ben Sass's Wall Street Journal op-ed on procedural reforms he would propose for the Senate is a mixed bag of good policy process ideas, overhauling the federal budget, sunsetting federal laws, more, more debatable ones, replacing standing committees with ad hoc problem-specific committees, nostalgia, longing for the days when senators debated on a full floor and bunked together in Washington, and bad structural change proposals that would require amending the Constitution, extending Senate terms to 12 years and barring re-election, repealing the 17th Amendment's direct election of senators. Repealing the 17th Amendment is a particularly popular idea in conservative circles. 
It would restore the original constitutional design, empower state governments, and undo a Woodrow Wilson-era progressive reform. Sassy. The old saying used to be that all politics is local, but today, thanks to the internet, 24-7 cable news, and a cottage industry dedicated to political addiction, politics is polarized and national. That would change if state legislatures had direct control over who serves in the Senate. So just going through this, like I said, I didn't want to go through all the different policy proposals in here. Um, I found it interesting, though, he referred to Senate debate, this this author referred to Senate debates as nostalgia, as if it's this archaic idea. Um, no, our, our legislators should debate policy. I mean, what do they do now? They just get a stack of papers on their desk and they vote the way they're told? And we all have to live by it? Yes, they should debate these. They should read them. I'm glad uh, this author points to a Woodrow Wilson-era progressive reform. Yes, and as I said, I'm going to do a full episode on Wilson in 1913 and how it's it's all been downhill from there. Um, although this author probably has a lot of uh, Wilsonian ideas he himself supports, whether he admits it or not. So moving on. It is true that direct election of senators has coincided with and almost certainly contributed to the growth of the federal government at the expense of the states. But restoring the indirect election of senators is unlikely to fix the problems Sassy identifies. First of all, the growth of nationalized politics driven by nationalized media is, by now, all-consuming. Everything is interpreted through the lens of the person of the president. Even many state and local elections these days end up as de facto referenda on Donald Trump or Barack Obama. Having senators answer to a different electorate would not change the fact that those electorates are obsessed with the White House. There was a time when voters wanted state government figures to bring their ideas and experience to Washington. That's how we got Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Jimmy Carter, FDR in the White House, as well as the nominations of Mitt Romney, Michael Dukakis, Adlai Stevenson, Tom Dewey, Elf Landon, and Al Smith. But the voters seem to have lost interest in that in recent cycles, preferring high national profile figures such as Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton over governors such as Scott Walker, Jeb Bush, Jay Inslee, John Kasich, Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal, Martin O'Malley, Chris Christie, John Hickenlooper, Mike Huckabee, Deval Patrick, Steve Bullock, Jim Gilmore, and George Pataki. So, admits that uh, this has led to the growth of federal government at the expense of the states, but he doesn't seem to be too concerned by that. Uh, typical neocon fashion, wants this centralized power in Washington, D.C., um, really wants nothing to do with federalism or uh, state sovereignty. He just kind of dismisses it and says, uh, restoring indirect election is unlikely to fix. He doesn't say why. He blames the media a little bit. That's your best reason. I also think it's interesting. He said they've lost interest in governors as opposed to high-profile people. You're saying Jeb Bush isn't high-profile? He comes from the Bush family, one of the biggest political dynasties in all of American history. I mean, even John Kasich, Rick Perry, Mike Huckabee, Chris Christie, I mean, they're all pretty known figures uh, coming into that election. People picked Trump because he was something different. They were sick of the status quo neocons, uh, such as a lot of the folks here at National Review. Moving on, 
More broadly, I made the case at some length back in 2006 that restoring the indirect election of senators would be bad for conservatism in general and popular non-elite control of the Senate in particular. And these points go double for Sassy's notion of a Senate where nobody ever faces the voters again. A summary. Okay, maybe it's bad for your brand of conservatism, but for true conservatives, local self-government that's limited is a good thing. I'm glad you're so proud of pointing out that you had this idea back in 2006, but so did pretty much everyone else. I mean, this has been the way it was since 1913. You're in the popular group of thinking, democracy is so great, we need democratically elected senators. Well, yeah, that's why everything's falling apart around us. So he lays out three points from his 2006... um, case he made that he's so proud of apparently here's the first one accountability direct election means direct accountability to the voters time and time again we have seen that the directly elected branches of government and only the directly elected branches of government will stand up for conservative principles on taxes national security and especially social issues why in part because of the elite consensus phenomenon where people who answer only to the other politicians end up listening only to the other politicians and the things they believe in rather than being compelled to tailor their ears as well as their messages to the population as a whole. If you want examples, look no further than the world's most prominent examples of indirect government. The EU and UN throughout Europe, parliamentary systems are unresponsive to populist concerns. Or consider the issue of judicial nominations. Your red state Senate Democrat will run for re-election. It is true on a menu of issues, but he or she can be pounded for obstructing good judges or supporting bad ones. It's the senator's own vote. It's much harder to hold a local state legislator responsible for their votes in far-off Washington cast by someone else. So, I don't know what planet this guy's living on, but the direct election of senators has not helped with taxes. Our taxes are out of control. National security, our military's all over the world. Of course, this guy probably likes that. And social issues. These Republicans always run on, what, ending abortion, other conservative social issues. What do they do? Nothing. Because then they have nothing to run on again. So that's actually an argument against his point, that these democratically elected people have to run on these issues but then do nothing because if they did something, they'd have nothing to run on in that democratic process again. Now with judicial nominations, this point actually goes against him. Because in a federal republic, the senator would vote the interest of the state the senator's representing, not the whims of the entire population of the state. So, you know, having judges in place that support federalism would, would be something they're incentivized to do rather than just the give me more, give me more whims of the people. Now, I agree that uh, judges, the federal judiciary has done nothing to defend the Constitution to support liberty. The fact that they're unelected might have something to do with it, but the fact of the matter is the senators in place now that are directly elected aren't helping. And if they got uh, federal judges who actually believed in the Tenth Amendment, believed in state sovereignty, 
we might have a much more decentralized system. And all those concerns he mentioned at the beginning of this paragraph, taxes, national security, spending, we might actually be better off on all three. So these points he just made actually cut against him once you scratch below the surface. So paragraph two, spending. The accountability issue takes on a particular problematic cast when you consider spending. One of the developments that disturbs me most about federal spending, whether it's done through pork barrel earmarks, block grants, or entitlement programs, is the tendency to use the vast revenue-raising powers of the federal government to raise money and then kick it back to the states and localities to spend. If you think we could solve this, this accountability shell game by creating a class of senators whose only constituency is state legislators, state legislators would love nothing more than to solve all their budgetary problems by taking handouts raised by the federal treasury. An indirectly elected Senate would be an AFS-CME's dream. Wow, so when he started off, I thought I was going to agree with him here because I disagree with pork barrel spending, uh all the things done, the entitlement programs at the federal level. But then he's criticizing kickbacks to the states and localities. Yes, and I agree with him here too. So those points are actually good. The shell game is dumb. And I've talked about it here at the state level, you know, here in Michigan. The state takes our money and then gives us what little, you know, cookie crumbs we can have left. If you're in Cordfield County Hillsdale like I am, your community is getting almost nothing. So, yes, I do think that's terrible. So, so far, so good in this paragraph. But then l- listen to this. This is the second to last sentence in here I just read, but I want to reiterate this. State legislators would love nothing more than to solve all their budgetary problems by taking handouts raised by the federal treasury. Handouts raised by the federal treasury. Uh, where did they get that money? The people of the states. Once again, just ignoring the concept of federalism. How about the people keep their money in their own states or from the federal government taking it from them in the first place? There's a novel idea. It's not the federal treasury's money. Where do they get this money? Oh, I mean, I know they do print a lot of it out of thin air. How about keep the money at the states, keep it at the localities, not just play this whole shell game. So the whole point, he sees all this as a concern too, allegedly, but the whole point that it could have been solved would be by having state senators accountable to their states, keeping the money in state hands as it's supposed to, as is constitutional, rather than this centralized authority making decisions for 365 million people in all 50 states. So I just don't know if this guy is that ignorant of history of our constitutional system or if he does know that that would actually solve the issues and he's being deceptive because again these neocons don't like state sovereignty they love centralized power they love big federal government so i don't know this guy it could be one it could be the other i don't really know which would be more of a compliment basically calling him dumb or a liar but that is what it is so we'll move on to the last paragraph three gerrymandering consider the senate is the only legislative body among the two houses of congress and the various state legislators where the elected officials don't get to choose their votes at present state legislatures 
where in a few states, nonpartisan commissions get to draw the district lines for the state legislature and the House. And those lines not only lead to a lot of partisan mischief, but also to efforts to place incumbent entrenchment in above even the interests of the parties. Today, the Senate alone is free of the concentration of power, providing a genuine democratic check on the power of the gerrymander. Having senators elected by state legislature would remove that check. I mean, I'm just not really convinced of that. Is gerrymandering a concern? Sure, but I mean, I don't really know what the solution is. And I've thought about this before, whether it be at the state level, the federal level, because you can have an independent commission but they're going to be biased. Humans are biased. So it's tough, you know. But, um, I mean, if this last paragraph is his most compelling argument when he's completely ignoring federalism, completely ignoring uh, representative government over direct democracy, either ignoring or intentionally leaving out. Um, yikes. So here's what... Dan McLaughlin ends with. Republicans since 2006 have been roiled by not one but two waves of populist anti-establishment revolt. First, the Tea Party, which picked off several incumbent senators and helped elevate Ben Sass himself to the Senate, and then Donald Trump. Neither of these would have been possible under an indirect election system in which senators are elected by their politicians. That would be fine with me in Trump's case, but not the Tea Party. I'd suspect more conservatives were in favor of at least one of the two. Sassy is frustrated, as many politicians are frustrated, that he has to spend a lot of time catering both to the elite donors whose money is necessary to run campaigns and to voters who may be swept away in misguided populist enthusiasms. And that is hard to do business with other politicians who are simply preoccupied. But then nobody said governance and leadership were easy. What a great ending. I mean, that last sentence read like a third grade uh, schoolhouse rock book. So this guy's never Trumper, but Ben Sass is too. I don't really agree with the logic that neither the Tea Party wave or Trump's election would be possible under an indirect election system. I mean, Trump's elected under the Electoral College. This is about senators, not the president, so... Again, I don't know if he just doesn't understand like how these basic elections work or if he's intentionally being coy with us. The The point is, this system wasn't changed in 1913. We have no idea what things would be like right now. So, But you know you'd have decentralization. You know you'd have less direct democracy. Those are both good things. Uh, some states like California might be worse off, but flyover country baby we'd be way better off so i mean that's what federalism is you're gonna have a couple crazy stupid states like new york california basically the coast and you know chicago i guess you know i i don't know how the rest of the state would do with them but regardless but most of us states would be so much better off if we could govern ourselves rather than central top-down authority but the neocons love Central authority, as I've said, just like their progressive allies, they love democracy, central authority, and they try to trick uh, mainstream conservatives into thinking that's a conservative thing. Well, it's very pernicious. So really, this article is either ignorant of history or, I mean, this last thing he used, he said, neither of these 
would be possible in an indirect election system. I mean, that's circular logic. This wouldn't be why, well, because it wouldn't be. I mean, you don't have any evidence of that either way. And then he's talking about spending, campaigning. Well, again, he shoots himself in the foot with his own argument because if U.S. senators were elected by their state legislatures, they wouldn't have to raise money for statewide campaigns. They could be focused more on actually serving the people. I know it's this crazy notion that you're work for the people, not that you're the master that everyone has to bow down to. Without centralized uh, democracy and nationalism, this Hamiltonian vision, then the neocons don't get their forever wars. They don't get their huge campaign uh, finance donations. And they don't get their huge government, high taxes, and cronyism that they all love so much. Thanks for watching. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And we got a guest coming on in the next one. Make sure to tune in for that. Like, share, and subscribe. Take care. Have a great day.